Take your Bible, if you would, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're talking about kingdom focus, the living hope. And today we're going to talk about the mystery of salvation revealed, that song right after communion that Carrie and Austin sang pretty much encapsulates what we're going to talk about this morning. But I want to put things in perspective. Today is September 5th. As of yesterday, we're just 57 days away from Halloween, 112 days away from Christmas, and 100 days away, 120 days away from New Year's Day 2022. So I want us to put that in perspective into where we are here as a church. Diane and I, we were watching a potential movie. We're going to have outdoor movie night and a fire and fellowship on uh, September 24th down here at the bottom of the hill. And uh, we were watching a movie. As often happens our house, we have wonderful internet that uh, is overtaxed, and you get that spinning in the middle of movies, and we'd watch it for a minute, and it would be good, then it would be jerky, and then pause, and then again, you know, and I kind of feel like this is a good analogy of how I feel things have been since May, or since we, uh, the, the mass mandate was lifted, and we had those outdoor services a couple times. I feel like it's just been pause, and then figure out what to do next. Uh, we, meaning the staff and members, we would make plans and we'd go for a while and then we have to stop and figure out what to do next. It's been a very difficult time to plan even a month. And so I feel as we move into the last four months of 2021, we have some clarity on what we need to emphasize and encourage our church family to do. The two words that I would use to describe as pastor and elder what we need to focus on this fall are community and outreach. Community and outreach. Our vision statement talks about how we're to connect with God and others, and that's just building an initial relationship with God and one another. The second component of that vision statement goes deeper. It says we're to grow in our relationships with God and others. That means to go deeper, to build community, to fellowship, to share life on life with one another. We can best do that if we are physically together and committing time to build those relationships. Now, if you're not vaccinated and you wish to come here and you want to wear a mask and we've got plenty of space to social distance, we want to encourage you to do that. If you want to wear a mask, there'll be no judgment. If you do, we're open to everyone's opinion on the COVID-19 and the Delta variant issue. If you're going to get vaccinated, if you haven't already, use your conscience and your convictions to make that decision. Some of us who are vaccinated may decide to take the third booster shot this fall. We don't know. Everyone in our church has to make those decisions for themselves. And our goal is to protect everyone and make sure we're doing all we can to provide a safe environment. That's why Carrie, at the end of the week, sends out information about the church service for those online, those who are coming. And she says in there, hey, if you're sick, out of consideration for others, please stay home. And God bless those who are viewing us online and we're providing a much better service for our online uh, service eventually on October 17th as we have a big install project on October 10th. And we're going to see a lot of improvement with that. But we want to encourage everyone when God leads you to, to come back in person as soon as possible. We have plenty of seats for you here. And the bottom line is the church says isolated physically becomes divided. And people drift away because God has designed us for relationship. And he's talking about the church, the universal church with a capital C, but the local church with a small C as well. We grow in Christ through a community of believers. 
So I hope today you'll stay for our connect groups for kids, you know, high school on down. We have Sunday school for you, but adults, we're going to meet together, watch a video, Lord willing, if we can get up on the screen, and then we're going to go and talk about uh, the biblical perspective of what building community looks like. Next week, as I alluded to in the announcements, we're going to have a family meeting. I don't know about you, but uh, when my kids were growing up, we would sometimes have to gather all the troops. There were five of us in the family, and we'd have to get around the table, and we'd have to have some discussions about discipline, about you know where we're going on vacation. We'd have these family meetings. Well, next week, we're going to have that kind of meeting where we're going to just kind of lay out where we are as a church, where we see and where we're going. So we want to develop community through events such as the River Bandits game coming up on September 17th with our Awana families and our church family, if you'd like to go. Fire and Fellowship later this month with the option to stay for an outdoor movie. Uh, in November, around Veterans Day, we're going to have Michael Imhoff, a former U.S. Navy SEAL. And we're trying to get some military equipment to be in our parking lot. And we're going to have a great brunch on that Saturday with Michael Imhoff. And then he'll be preaching here on Sunday to challenge us and encourage us. The purpose is for us to develop community and connection. And I think sometimes we have to look beyond uh, when we look at the program and say, oh, I'm interested in that, I'm not interested in that. Maybe we need to think about what, what could I do to bring someone to this event, even if I may not be interested. Maybe they would be interested in coming to that as well. So we're working on some special things in the Christmas season as well, but connection and outreach we want to work on those things this fall. So in the last quarter of 2021, we don't know what COVID will do. We don't know whatever else may happen. We hold these plans loosely. We're flexible, but we need all of you who are hearing my voice just to come next Sunday for worship and for our church family meeting. We're seeking God's wisdom and direction for what he wants to do for our church as we move forward. So now we turn to our sermon today. And I love this idea of a mystery. How many of you as men, maybe girls read this, but the Hardy Boys. How many of you read the Hardy Boys? Anybody in here? How about Nancy Drew? Maybe some of the girls did, right? And they're still out there today. I mostly read now nonfiction books, but man, when I was growing up, I could not get enough of the Hardy Boys. And it was interesting how the writer did such a great job of ending each chapter with a tease that you couldn't turn your lights out and go to sleep. You had to read the next chapter. It was a page turner, right? And so we're going to talk about a mystery today, the mystery of salvation revealed. Peter here is talking about the living hope, which is found in the beautiful word salvation. In chapter 1, Peter has laid out for born-again believers how we have the hope of a future inheritance and enjoy an adventure-filled, abundant life in the present because of our salvation and our ability to be directed by God's word. That is what we're going to talk about today, God's mystery of salvation and ways that it was revealed to us and the men and women in this world in the 21st century. And so the word of God teaches us that man cannot save himself, but that God will rescue those who trust in him alone and believe in his word. God loves sinners. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth found in the word of God. You know, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is probably one of the most beautiful redemptive stories ever written in literature. The news of the week can be very discouraging. We've heard about Hurricane Ida that hit 
the, south, the southern part of our country earlier last Sunday, actually, and then came up the coast all the way into the east coast and tremendous damage. We think of Afghanistan, and we were able to finally pull out, and then all the ramifications of that. The employment numbers this week are below expectations from August. The fight continues over vaccinations. And on top of all that, persecuted Christians and Americans and allies of Americans who are from Afghanistan are trying to escape the Taliban. They're trapped in their own country. So no matter how bleak the news of this world gets or in our personal lives as Christians, we should never stop rejoicing over the greatness and the thrill of knowing that God has saved our souls for all of eternity. I don't know when the clock turned on at alarm at 545 I didn't have to hit the snooze today. I was excited to get up and look forward to sharing this message. And if your blesser is broken, you won't be blessed. But you need to be blessed today by the words of Peter as we think about the mystery of salvation revealed. And so as a reminder from last week, if you look at verse 2 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, we see the part the Trinity plays in our salvation you can read it for yourself, but today we're going to see how the Old Testament prophets studied to understand how God saves, how the Holy Spirit inspired it, how the New Testament apostles shared it, and how the angels look on the wonder of God's saving grace. Do you ever think about that? Angels, as we'll talk about in a little bit, they do not understand what it is to experience salvation from God. So look at 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at three verses today. Verses 10 through 12. 1 Peter 1.10, Peter says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who were prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. So I encourage you to take out your outline, fill in these blanks. Let's look first of all at how, first of all, the prophets revealed salvation's message. Remember last week, we went into the foreknowledge of God. We talked about Christ's suffering. We talked about the Holy Spirit. Now we're looking at some of the, the other agents involved in this process of bringing people to faith in Christ. We just read verse 10, but to emphasize concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was your, to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time. First thing on your outline under this point is great grace. Great grace. The Old Testament prophets studied the grace that had come and would come in the future through Christ. Old Testament prophets, Old Testament believers, they obtained salvation without seeing it, the full accomplishment of Jesus at the cross dying for their sins. They didn't understand who the Messiah was. They just knew that one was coming. They didn't have New Testament scriptures. In Amos 3, 7, it says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Hebrews chapter 1 says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, 
God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. How amazing is it that the faith of those who in the Old Testament had so little revelation to go on, but yet how many of them were so faithful to follow God. They, some of them had direct connection through dreams or visions or prayer. But grace is the motivation for God saving us. Grace, grace is getting something free that we don't deserve. Someone has taken the five letters of grace and said, great riches at Christ's expense. It's a good way to remember spiritual grace and what it means for us, great riches at Christ's expense. The Jews knew from Old Testament scripture that the gospel would come to the Jew first and then go out from there to the rest of the world. Isaiah 49, 6 proclaims this. God says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations. Why? That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The Old Testament talks about grace. We don't, we don't think about grace. We think of the law mostly in the Old Testament, but it does talk about grace. Moses, when God talked to him, revealed and described himself in Exodus 34, 6, it says, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Think about Genesis 6, 8. A little short verse that says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And of course, he was the one who built the ark and preserved the lives of himself and seven other people that would bring the world back after the depravity of deep sin. Jonah found grace in the eyes of the Lord even when Jonah didn't want it. He didn't want to go share the warning that God wanted him to do to go see the Ninevites. And of course, you know what happened. He went as far away as he could go. He was swallowed by a big fish. He was spit up on the shore. He finally repented, obeyed. And in Jonah 4.2, the end of Jonah, it says, and Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, to go as far away from what you wanted me to do. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We see grace in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets and Jewish believers experience God's grace for salvation without many of the ways that we have today to reveal his message of grace to a needy world. There are still many, many, many people today that don't have the opportunity to hear the gospel in their own language. They don't even have one word of the Bible in their native tongue. The work of making known the revelation of God's saving grace continues. We as a church support Nathan Smith, Nathan and Robin Smith with Wycliffe. And of course, Wycliffe is one of the great organizations, great mission agencies that translates, find people that don't have the Bible in their language and works on the translation. Up on the screen, you'll see some languages with no scripture. This is from Wycliffe. 3,945 languages with no scripture. That's 255 million people, they estimate. 738 languages have work in progress. That's approximately 65.4 million people. 
1,193 languages are not vital enough to plan translation work. There's just not enough knowledge and ability to do it. That's 20.8 million people. 2014 languages need translations or preparatory work to begin. 167 million people. So the summary is that 1.5 billion people speaking 6,656 languages do not have a full Bible in their first language. That's why we need to pray for and support financially and do all we can to help them to get the word of God in a language for unreached people groups to receive the gospel. So we talked about great grace, but second of all, to this point, great salvation. Great salvation. Think about living in the Old Testament times and seeking after God. The prophets, they declared with a very limited knowledge, with like a dim light, as they wrote of the prophecies of Christ. Their prophecies declared that the Messiah would suffer in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. The prophets predicted the Messiah would triumph in the end in Psalm 2, Psalm 16, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. We often read Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 at Christmas. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there'll be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Predicted that he will triumph, he will reign and rule forever and ever. The prophets predicted that the Messiah would be the savior of the world. Look at these words on the screen from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news, the gospel to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now, can you imagine? We know that Jesus... When he was beginning his ministry, can you imagine he walked into a synagogue, they invite him up to teach, he goes up and he takes the scrolls, he opens it up to this passage from Isaiah, he reads it, closes the scroll, and says, I am the one who is here to fulfill that promise. I think, how would you respond? I think I'd be watching everything this guy did. I think I might follow him for a little bit and see what's going on. I mean, this could be the Messiah the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Back to verse 10 in 1 Peter 1. Notice the terms used here. The word searched. It means these prophets were intense in their study to understand the meaning of what God was revealing to them. Notice the word inquired to make sense of what God revealed. In the Greek, it means like searching for something in a tent or in your house or in a city that you misplaced that you're looking for to find or to understand. They looked and compared intensely the early scriptures that they had, and they tried to understand it according to the first part of verse 11. They said, what person will it be? What time, what era in history would the Messiah come? Even John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin and forerunner of Christ, doubted and inquired to see if Jesus was the Messiah. When I think of how God saved our family, when I think about how nobody in our family 
extended or otherwise, knew Christ as Savior and how God just came out of nowhere, it seemed like. And my dad came to faith in Christ. And then over time, the rest of our family. I think about all that it took for God to save me. I think about the divine human agencies that God used to write, study, and preserve God's word down through time so that I could read it and be saved. Then to experience salvation and sense the transformation that began back in 1972 and continues to this day. It humbles my heart and overwhelms me with gratitude about how great this salvation is. John MacArthur said this, if the greatness of the salvation yet to come was the intense preoccupying study of all the prophets, then it ought to be just as precious, if not more so, to those believers today who have the full revelation. Of all the people that have ever existed right up to this point, we should be the ones rejoicing the most, most excited about our salvation experience. John Newton, who was a slave trader, who came to faith in Christ, who struggled with all that he'd done in his past, wrote the great song, Amazing Grace, studied theology and preached toward the end of his life. He was struggling with dementia. And he began to forget all the theology and all the things that he had learned over the years. And he said, just before he died, he said, I don't remember much, but two things I hold on to. I am a great sinner and he is a great savior. And so that's what your application is today. May we be reminded that we are great Sinners in need of a great Savior. And if that's all you can remember, that's more than enough. More than enough. Second of all, the Holy Spirit revealed salvation's message. Look at the second part of verse 11 of 1 Peter 1. The Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. First of all, we see the search for the Messiah. The prophecies in the Old Testament were divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit and recorded in the Bible. And they use this big fancy word, superintendence. What that means is that the Holy Spirit didn't dictate what to write, but they oversaw and they directed each of the 40 authors to write using their personality and their creative styles of writing. And I think we take for granted the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A great little book that you should read once in a while every couple of years is called The Forgotten God by Francis Chan. And he delineates in a very practical way the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world, but also mostly in the lives of the believer. We don't have time to share all that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, but take this time this week, take some time this week to reflect on the Holy Spirit and thank him for his constant ministry in your life. Peter uses the term here, the spirit of Christ or the spirit of the Messiah. He shows the eternality of Christ and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. Notice the word in verse 11 indicating. In other words, to make plain, to share, to reveal what the Holy Spirit already knows due to his ability to know all things. He's omniscient. Notice what it says there, when he predicted. That means when the Holy Spirit witnessed beforehand what was coming, what would be accomplished in Christ. And then a couple rich words at the end there of verse 11. It says, sufferings and glories of Christ. From sufferings to glory of Christ. 
So the Old Testament prophets, they knew that there was going to be some place in time, there was going to be suffering. So they could see Mount Calvary. They could also see the Mount of Olives when Jesus would come back and rule and reign on the planet. But they couldn't see the valley between those mountains. We call that the church age. The church age. And notice the plural use here of glories. It's not glory, but glories. Because Christ was glorified after his resurrection and was given a glorified body. Christ was glorified further when he ascended in Acts chapter 1 to heaven. Right now he's exalted to the right hand of the Father praying for you and I. And as we know, as we talked about a few weeks ago, he will rule and reign on earth in the millennium in the new heaven and a new earth. Those are all the glories of Christ. Notice also the study done for you. Look at 1 Peter 12a. Think of all the background we just talked about, and then we get to this verse, and it says, it was revealed to them all these different revelations that they were serving not for themselves, but you. The motivation wasn't just for them to figure out who the Messiah was and to be saved, but for us, 21 centuries or how many centuries after these prophets, it was for us as well. Peter said that part of the motivation for the prophets studying the Holy Spirit's revealing the mystery of salvation is so you and I could know it for ourselves. And so are you praising God that we serve a God who reveals himself and gives us the revelation from heaven? I think of what Jesus said, his high priestly prayer, not long before he went to Calvary's cross in John chapter 17. He says, I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus was praying for us on that night. He prayed that high priestly prayer. The Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament believers lived in a hope of a coming Messiah. They looked intently through history for him to come. The Old Testament believers and prophets looked forward to the hope, the cross for salvation. And as New Testament believers, we look back to the cross for the hope of salvation. But like the Old Testament believers, we here in the New Testament times and church age, we're anticipating with hope as we look forward to Jesus' second coming, to his second advent to return to earth. So here's the application. Rejoice in the fact that the Holy Spirit illumines our mind and hearts. Uh, what does illumination mean? It's a term used to talk about how the Holy Spirit teaches us. How we read the word and we can understand it and it reveals truth to us. And he convicts us and he challenges us and he comforts us because we can understand his word in a way that we cannot apart from his Holy Spirit helping us. The third thing we see is the apostles revealed salvation's message. The apostles revealed salvation's message. In the middle of verse 12, it says, And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The first subpoint here is the mystery of the gospel revealed. Here's a preposition to the apostles. To the apostles. In the things, here he's saying there in verse 12, Peter is referring to the salvation grace given to the apostles by the Spirit to be preached and announced 
to the people in Jerusalem. Remember in Acts 2, they were up in the upper room. They were praying. The Holy Spirit comes on them like flaming fire. They go out and they preach in the streets of Jerusalem in tongues that they didn't know, but in the tongues that the people out in the streets knew so they could proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we see the mystery of the gospel revealed by the preposition by the apostles. Peter was most likely the one to be together, the spiritual meaning of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And in one of my classes I took in um, seminary, Petrine theology, Peter's theology, they believe that Peter was the first one who really understood from a spiritual sense the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and put it all together to understand the gospel. In Acts 2, he preaches his first sermon. He talks about man as a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus was the payment for sin. In Acts 2.24, he talks about that God planned the resurrection of Christ to overcome sin and Satan and death to give us eternal life. Peter emphasized the repentance of sin. Jesus, like his apostles, always when he taught, brought people to a point of decision. A point of, what are you going to do with what I just said? And you either had to move on it to reject it or move to accept it and adjust your life in that way. So did Peter as he revealed the gospel of Christ. And then there was the other apostle, Paul. Notice what he says about this mystery. Take your Bible if you would. We're going to look at two places. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2. And then we'll flip over to Ephesians 3. I'm humbled by how Paul approached this idea of the revelation being revealed to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, Paul, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He realized that the revelation that was given to him were not to be words he said, but he was reciting the, the words the Spirit put within him. Turn over to Ephesians 3. This goes well with the song we sang right after communion. Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you heard of the stewardship or the management of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6 is the key. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, that they are equal with those Jews who came and believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Man, there's so much more I could point to in Scripture on this point, but the picture that I get about God's revelation 
is that God has this giant scroll and over time he unfolds it. And every fold that he unfolds reveals a little bit more of his revelation. And it's also practical for us because in our daily lives, scary thought, when, when we get saved, God doesn't just say, okay, here's your will for the rest of your life. I think we'd be all scared to death if we saw all that. But God rolls, unrolls the scroll, just like you know, Psalm 119, 105, that word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He shows us enough of his will for today and tomorrow to light the path for the next steps down the road. God is faithful in sending us and showing us his will, his revelation in our lives. The application here is be grateful for God's unfolding of the scroll of revelation to us. That God is writing your story. He's got more chapters to put into your life. But do you trust him daily? Do you seek his word to find out what his will is for your life? Lastly, the angels viewed salvation's message. The angels viewed salvation's message. I hadn't given much thought to this till I was studying this this week. But look at the end of verse 12. Things into which angels long to look. Think about that phrase. The angels studied to understand salvation. Now, what are things that angels do? Well, we know from the Old Testament, angels oppose demons. I love that story in Daniel 10, 13, where Daniel's been praying and he's praying and he's praying and he's seeking an answer from God. And in Daniel 10, 13, the angel shows up and says, God heard your prayers, and I wanted to get here sooner, but I had to fight off the demons on my way here before I could get to you and answer your prayer. Angels oppose demons in spiritual warfare that we can't see. Angels are messengers of God, according to Daniel 8. They're fiery spirits, as they're described. Angels worship God in Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation 5. But angels are not saved from sin because they're created objects. They're not created with the ability to sin or not to sin. I know we have the fallen angels. They did make a choice, but once their choice was made, the good angels and the bad angels, it was sealed. So they don't get to experience God's grace, the glory of receiving Christ being forgiven of their sins. Peter's saying here that they're looking on us as believers with fascination as to how great a salvation we enjoy. Notice at the end of verse 12, that word things. They study the things, the major features of salvation. That word long in the Greek means a strong desire or an overflowing impulse to know by experience. This is not casual interest. This isn't a quick glance and on to something else. They long to understand what we have experienced as transformed believers in Christ. Notice the word look there. They long to look. That means to stretch one's head forward or bend down. The picture there is similar to the Greek word used when John went to the tomb and he bent over and he looked in intently to see if Jesus had risen from the dead. This is a holy and intentional focus on the matters of salvation. Angels look on God's plan for saving souls of men and they study to understand it. And the last point here is the angels serve those who are saved. The angels were deeply involved in being a part of carrying out God's plan of salvation. Think about it. They announced the birth of Christ in Luke 1 and Luke 2. 
angels ministered to Jesus after he fasted for 40 days and he was tempted by Satan. In Matthew 4, angels stood by the tomb after Jesus' resurrection. Angels attended his ascension off the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1. And it says, angels minister to you and I. Hebrews 1.14, a verse I learned right after I was saved. It says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? They minister to us. We talk about guardian angels. Maybe there aren't such things as that, but they minister to us. Angels watched over Paul and the other apostles according to 1 Corinthians 4. The Bible says angels watch over the body of Christ, the local church. Angels rejoice when sinners get saved in Luke 15. And according to Ephesians 3, angels watch the church and see saving grace on display. And lastly, one of the most exciting things, most exciting, one of the most exciting pictures in Scripture in Revelation 5, that the angels will join in with the thousands upon thousands, the myriads of people singing, as it says, the song of redemption to the one who saved them. So our application here is be thankful for the salvation we possess that even angels cannot experience. Think about that. We possess what angels cannot experience. Yes, for Christians, it's glory all the way. When we trusted Christ, we were born for glory. We're being kept for glory. As we obey him and experience trials, we're being prepared for glory. And when we love him, trust him, and rejoice in him, we experience the glory here and now, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Here's our key thought as we close. No matter how uncertain the times are, no matter how uncertain the times are, no matter how difficult the circumstances are, or severe the persecution is, we can hold tightly to the eternal hope of salvation. That's what Peter's saying. That's why he's given us all his background before he talks about how we deal with injustice, how we submit to a government's authority, maybe when we don't agree with some of the things the government does. He's going to talk about the church, the shepherd in 1 Peter 5. But he wants to dig deep in the roots of the great salvation that we have and the hope that we have so no matter what we face, that God will help us and walk through this journey together. So as we close today and we prepare to pray, I hope that you think about your life and think about the great salvation that God has given to you. Let's bow for prayer. If you're thankful today for the great salvation you possess, just slip your hand up. Say, yes, God, I thank you for the great salvation that you have given to me. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're not sure that you know Christ the Savior. We encourage you to, to meet with me or we'll connect you with someone to realize that we came into this world as sinners and we need a Savior and that Jesus gives us the way to do that. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're downtrodden because of the circumstances in your life or the news that we hear on TV and all the difficulties that we're facing. I just want to encourage you today, if you know Christ, go to him and ask him to encourage you and to comfort you on the living hope that we have in our salvation. It's not for just heaven, 
but that living hope can give us that adventure and abundant life here, here and now. Let's pray. Father, I, I lift up to you those in this room who may be discouraged and maybe even depressed, Lord, struggling, trying to make sense of where this world is and the ground underneath us is changing all the time. Things aren't as they used to be. But Lord, we know as we read your word, they're, they're never going to stay the same. And we just pray that as we go through this journey, that we would hold tightly to the great salvation, all the things you did to invest, to bring us to the cross and across that line of faith so we could have the hope of eternal life. Encourage us with these thoughts today. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.